0: Bud Elliott's confirmed OU hater. Yes, I saw uh, all the tweets about 30 minutes ago. People tagging me saying, hey, Bud Elliott's at it
1: again. Oh, right now now he's on Twitter actively hating on South Carolina, so I guess by proxy that's kind of hating on OU too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. hating on all sides of OU. I guess anything associated with OU, Bud Elliott's like, kill it.
0: Yeah, um, he's got his projected win totals for this upcoming football season, and uh, LOL, he's projecting OU as an over-under this year in Vegas at nine wins. And you know what? Actually even though i think it's a dumb number i hope it's right because if ou is sitting at 9 in the preseason for over under wins and nothing drastic happens with this team injury wise dude i will fire off a serious amount of cash on ou at 9 over under that means if they go 9 and 3 which i think there's be a have to be a quite a bit of you know number of things go wrong for this team to go 9 and 3 you would still push like, for you to lose, OU would have to go 8-4. and four. They haven't had that type of season since 2014, and people got fired at the end of that year no. after winning only eight games. So, uh, I see your nine, Bud Elliott. Vegas isn't in the business of hot takes like you are. Please let that nine be right, because I think a lot of people around here would fire off some money and uh, make some cash at the end of the season. What The, o- a- the wow.
1: over-under on OU's win total last year was 10.5. And they had a down year and still hit the over. Right.
0: Well, well I guess it's just regular season. Oh, is it just regular so season? So it would have hit the under. Okay. I don't know the last time. I mean, seriously, the last time OU would have had nine as an over-under. Um, 2015, they, 2015 they made the playoff, yeah. but, yeah, they were fringe top 25, I think, coming into the year. Um, That's, I mean, expectations weren't super maybe, high.
1: Maybe 2019.
0: Maybe. I don't know, because the schedule was so weak that year. You didn't have anybody in the non-con, UCLA, Army, and Florida Atlantic. I bet the over-under was still 10 that season. Even with Jalen. Or no, that, that that was the wrong. Uh, that was Houston. That was at UCLA in what, South Dakota? South Dakota? Yeah, that year that was the non-con. So an even easier schedule that year. I-, I bet it's been a long time since OU's had nine. Listen, and that's not official. That's not a official Vegas number. That's just what one guy at 24-7 Sports is projecting OU's uh, win-loss total to be. Uh, I'll go ahead and take the over on that, bud. Yesterday on the rush, I, pro- uh, I projected OU to be at 10, over-under. I think 10's a pretty good number. I think it's going to be really tough for this team to run the table and go undefeated. We know that that has not happened in several years. Um, most people, I think, are going to project this team to be ten and two, 11 and one around here. So I think 10's probably the right number for OU in Vegas this offseason. But the difference in nine and ten is drastic. There's no way that they're put at nine. Yeah, it's stark. So what if it's nine and a half? Uh, I I would go over on that. I okay. think, so I, you think, th- that you think a, I think that this is winning ten games. I think this is a ten win team. Yeah, absolutely, I do. Um, I think that they're better than every single team on the schedule. Now I know that that doesn't always mean that they're going to beat everyone on the schedule. Sure. OU has definitely been prone to laying out at least one stinker every single year, and maybe this team does the same thing too. But as I evaluate this team, and I think that this team is going to get better, and as I evaluate the rest of the conference, I think it's yeah, I think it's a ten win football team. So I would take the over on nine and a half. I probably would too. I think I'd agree and. The key I think the
1: key for me is going to be see is going to be seeing how a Brent Venables team deals with the types of games that Lincoln Riley teams have historically lost which is you get caught looking too far ahead in general you think back to Kansas State in 2019 as a perfect example think about Iowa State in 2020 as another great example Many forget that Iowa State team had opened their season with a loss to Louisiana. Yeah. And Louisiana turned out to be a pretty decent football team. By 17
0: points, correct? I think they lost by – yeah, Iowa State lost to –
1: 14 Yeah, yeah, lost by 17. In Ames. So, yeah, ugly. And then 2021, you had Baylor. And, yeah, Baylor was a good football team in its own right, too. But still, I think the common denominator – if you go back across the previous three seasons and the losses that Oklahoma's taken in the regular season across those three years, the common denominator is they've got caught looking too far ahead, and they haven't concentrated and haven't focused on the task at hand and the opponent at hand.
0: There's Yeah, there's also another common denominator with all those losses. You mentioned uh, K-State in 2019. Not so much K-State 2019, but K-State in 2020. You mentioned Baylor last year, and you mentioned Iowa State in 2020, I think. Fourth quarters, man. Fourth quarter, this program has not been very good in tight games, seemingly. I I mean, remember the Kansas State game? They they were up by 21 points. What, two different times in that game? Yes. Iowa State, you were up by double digits. Now, you never really had a huge lead against Baylor last year, but – I think we all believe the offseason conditioning program has been better the past three to four well, months. Well, let's hope so. And not only does that make you physically better in the fourth quarter, where OU has fallen short, I think it also get, makes you mentally a little bit more prepared for the fourth quarter. There's this thought of no one's had a tougher off than us, and I think that that matters when you get to a close game in the fourth quarter. This team, I think you're going to see those second-half numbers be better Blame it on the strength and conditioning previously. Maybe that's what it all comes down to. But, man, we saw OU blow a ton of leads under Muleshoe. And when we saw teams get a whole lot of momentum in the fourth quarter, it seemed like the majority of those games OU found a way to lose. You know what it comes down to
1: at the end of the day? It comes down to rat poison. Because you remember what happened leading up to that Baylor game, Tyler? And, again, common denominator across multiple seasons of OU football but just to take this last year 2021 and that game against Baylor as a perfect example you remember what happened leading up to that Baylor game Oklahoma was ranked number eight at nine and zero by the college football playoff selection committee and all those OU players took to Twitter and said ha, ha, they disrespected us or okay it's like that so something along those lines basically acknowledging publicly that they were cognizant of the perceived disrespect that Oklahoma was getting from the national and from the college football playoff committee and then what was their response four days later they lay an egg yeah against Baylor
0: it's rat poison it is Nick Saban's rat poison and they fail for it Hook, line, and sinker, man, because we hear all the time coaches and players say, ah, we don't pay attention to the rankings, they're not important, yada, yada, yada. Hey, we come on here and say how unimportant the rankings are at that time of the year. Yeah. Yeah, that, That team was talking about it all week.
1: What happened that week is that Oklahoma convinced themselves as a football team that they were better than they actually were. They were convinced that, oh, we're getting disrespected, We should be in the top five. We're leaps and bounds better than this Baylor team. We're going to walk in on Saturday, stomp them, and then we'll get our respect. And they failed to take Baylor seriously as an opponent because they got full of themselves.
0: Yeah, and I, I said this multiple times last year. I think that you can boil all of that down. There was a sense of entitlement with this team. There was a sense of entitlement, Parker, that, you know, Because all the previous teams before us won Big 12 championships, well, this is Oklahoma, right? Since we've rattled off all these consecutive Big 12 championships, we're just guaranteed the right to win one ourselves. Like, this team thought that they had actually earned something that the previous teams earned, not them. There was just this thought of, oh, well, I wear an Oklahoma jersey. I'm just entitled to a Big 12 championship. Teams are going to roll over at this time of the year. That was a a slap in the face, a little bit of reality last year, wasn't it? Yeah, you don't don't have to be the number one team
1: in the nation to get full of yourself. You don't got to be on a legit roll to get full of yourself. You can get just as full of yourself if you think you're being disrespected.
0: And again... That Oklahoma team last year thought they were better than they actually were. Yeah, and, and we saw how good they were. They weren't very good towards the uh, tail end of the season until Bob Stoops took over. So, how, how does that mentality
1: change under Brent Venables? That's going to be what I'm interested to see. Yeah. Because even when it seemed like they weren't really taking anything for granted, I think Mule Shoes
0: football teams took a lot for granted. No, yeah, they totally did. I, I, again, I think that there was a massive sense of entitlement that creeped into that program. By the way, uh, Air Cover Solutions text line, if the over-under is nine, I'm laying $1,000 on that. That may be on the low end of uh, what a lot of our listeners would throw down on the over-under at nine for OU. Uh, what happened that week was their coach was in California interviewing for another job, and they weren't prepared uh, when they went into that game. Was it the week before the Baylor game when uh, he was mysteriously missing from yes. the press conference? Was yes. that it? Yes, yeah. that was it. It was the day the first
1: college football playoff rankings came out. That Tuesday. Have we ever found out for no, sure where he was ne- at that day? we never day? will.
0: We never will, Tyler. But the speculation is that he was uh, he was elsewhere that day, right? Yes, that is the speculation. What do you believe? <laughs> what a question, huh?
1: If you put a gun in my head, yeah, I think he was out interviewing for that USC job.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think we all do. The question is, was he doing it in Norman or was he doing it in Los Angeles during the time? Uh-huh. Uh huh. And text line Peyton says, and I think the coaching staff also thought they were better than they were, too comfortable. There's 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 a lot going on during yeah. that time. It was it was a sticky mm-hmm. sticky
1: situation all the way around. But the good news is. I think a lot of that's going to change under Brent Venables, And I think that's going to be one of the key distinctions between the old culture and the new culture. And so what I want to see in 2021 is I don't want to, I don't necessarily want to see Oklahoma run the table. I don't necessarily want to see Oklahoma go to the college football playoff. I, I don't necessarily need to see any of those things. It is year one with a new coaching staff and a lot of new players. To me, what I need to see is I need to see the Sooners go out and win the games they're supposed
0: to win. By the margin they're supposed to win them by. Now, I you can look at the spread if you want to do that. That's normally how we quantify what a successful day was against Kansas or against UTEP or whoever you're playing. I mean, right? Like most of the time we look at the spread and say, "Well, did they cover the spread?" That's how, you know, we determine if this was a good, you know, good day or not. But here's the deal, Parker. Like I don't want to see them just beat Texas Tech this year and barely get by and have to rally from 14 down. I want to see them physically beat up teams like this program is capable of doing. This is not a great conference, and I want to see OU being the team that's like, wow, they are the punishers. They deliver out the pain. They look like a top football team today against an inferior opponent. Hasn't been happening too much here recently. Fair One listener says
1: mind. on the text line, I still think the Monday before Kansas was his interview for USC. IT said he gave them that Monday off, which is true. He did. And I think he had a Zoom call with USC that day.
0: There were probably multiple. Who knows? Uh, sense of entitlement started at the top with Shoe, Big 12 Media Day saying, nice to be home. I actually didn't have a huge issue with that because that was a little bit of a flex on the rest of the conference, but uh, if you want to blame him for the entitlement being in the program, I'm, uh, I'm 100% behind that. Trust me. Hey, we got our buddy Travis Davidson coming up later in the show at 235. He joins us every single Wednesday. Excited to talk to Travis this week, but your text on the Air Cover Solutions text line. Keep them coming. 405-651-3439. More football, more cruton on the other side. We're the ref. It's the Homeless fans. Locked on with McComas and Thune on The Ref. Travis Davidson joins us next segment at 2.35. All the text right now flooding in. As always, we appreciate it. Air cover Solutions text line 405-651-3439. We'll get to that momentarily. I was thinking earlier today because there was a media availability with Joe Joe John Finley, tight ends coach, and he's talking about Daniel Parker, who left Missouri to come to OU, yep. 6'2", 239. When's the last time? Blake Bell was was my thought. When was the last time OU had a dude at tight end that could catch passes, sure, Parker? But like was a legitimate real blocking threat lined up at tight end? Is Blake Bell the last guy? And if he is, he was a converted quarterback going from tight end. Carson Meyer. I would say what was his last year? Twenty eighteen. Was it? Dang, it was twenty eighteen. Yeah. Did we see him a lot out on the he edge blocking them? He though? didn't play a whole bunch. And we'll see how I much Daniel Parker plays. Yeah. But it's it does not seem, you know, in the past eight years that they've had just a ton of dudes lined up at tight end. No, they really haven't. That can push someone over. And Joe John was telling a story. I, I believe this is about Daniel Parker. I mean, it has to be if he's. From Mizzou last year, like just pushed a guy at Florida like into the cheerleaders last year, and it got everyone pumped up. So you uh you've been out at practice a couple of times. I don't know how much you've seen out of him, but he is a big dude and I, I guess someone that can just line up and just push someone over. That's that's what kind of what kind of player they have at, at tight end. I I'm curious
1: as to how much Daniel Parker sees the field versus Braden Willis. I And I do think Caden Helms will be in the mix, too. But I think that's one of the positional battles that I'm watching most closely just because I'm intrigued at what the split is going to be. Because, yes, and Joe John Finley has said as much, Braden Willis is more your pass-catching guy. Daniel Parker is more your blocking guy. So how many packages are you using a blocking tight end in as opposed to using a pass-catching tight end? Sure. That's that's where there's some intrigue and, I think, a legitimate question. I would say that and the situation at defensive end because you're presumably making the transition from a rush linebacker to more of a standard four-man front mixed with a three-man front. Well, I, I don't necessarily know that you're going to have that hybrid rusher guy, which is why I'm kind of concerned about what the future looks like for Marcus Stripling and Clayton Smith, but... I tend to think, man, you're either going to see four-man fronts or three-man fronts. And I, as far as the interplay between them and the hybridization of those two schemes, I don't know.
0: I would think Daniel Parker's your short yardage guy, goal line guy that you throw in there and you want him to run through someone. I think he could be that dude, but you're right, man. I mean, it's we've been talking now for three, four years about the potential of Braden Willis. And we've seen it at times in this offense, but not really consistently. Man, I, I guess... Is it fair to say the only year that we've seen a tight end routinely involved in the offense game in and game out was 2017, 2017 with Mark Andrews? Yep. So it's been more of of hype at that position than anything. But with a new offensive coordinator, it could be fair to speculate, Parker, that when we talk about you know who are going to be the main pass catchers on this team, I wouldn't put Braden Willis number one, and I probably wouldn't put him number two either. But maybe, even though he's one of the most well-known well-known guys on the roster, maybe he's a dark horse to really break the top three in terms of receptions and big plays in, in the passing game this year.
1: Yeah, I, I also don't think,
0: circling back around
1: there, I don't know if we give Austin Stogner his full due either, because in 2020, a lot of people will forget... Up until he got injured in the Kansas game, he was leading Oklahoma in several major receiving categories. He, he so. saved
0: the Texas game with that jump ball. Yeah, he did. They, they, what was that, the first overtime, I think? Basically, first, first Rattler overtime, just threw him yes. a jump ball, and he went down and made a play on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're facing fourth and eight from the 11-yard line if he doesn't go get that ball. So, yeah, that was huge. That was maybe his biggest play in an OU uniform, all things considered. Um, but yeah, I think tight end usage will be intriguing, just to see... I mean, you have two guys who are fifth-year seniors in Willis and Parker. And, again, Willis is going to be on the field in passing situations. Parker is probably going to be on the field more in running situations. But I'll say this. I have been impressed with what I've seen from Daniel Parker in practice, as far as his ability to catch. Passes oh yeah, and yeah, run routes. yeah.
0: Like, I, I don't want it out there at all that no. I think that he's just like, all right, you, your your only role is to block. Uh, yeah, he can catch he can catch the football. I almost think he might
1: be more of a target in the passing game than some people expect because he's only got something like twelve career catches. Like, it's not that many. He did not see many passes thrown his way at Mizzou, but. I don't know, man. Something tells me maybe he's in line for a few more targets than we expect. Yeah,
0: he had 12 catches for 97 yards and three touchdowns last year. Now, I'm going to guess that those touchdowns, uh, all came in the red zone. I don't know that, but that's going to be a guess if you have 12 catches for 95 or 97 yards. So maybe he's a big red zone target that they want to use. Text line says, Wouldn't the opposing defense be able to sniff that out if Braden Willis isn't going to be blocking but going out for a pass? Well, I mean, if you wanted to, you could get creative, and it sounds like Jeff Levy likes to get creative. You could put two tight ends. You could have them both out there in a short yardage goal line set. But if Daniel Parker is as physical as we're led to believe, then I don't think it really matters. A lot of times it doesn't matter if the defense know that a, that a run's coming on third and one. And I think that that's what offense you want to be, is they know the run's coming on third and short, and there's still nothing they can do about
1: it. I, I, and I don't think it's going to necessarily be, oh, every time you're throwing Braden Willis is in the game, every time you're running Daniel Parker is in the game. I think in packages where you have a tight end with his hand in the dirt – that's probably going to be Daniel Parker, and in packages where you're splitting the tight end out wide, that's more Braden Willis. That would be my inclination as to how things get. And obviously, if you got a tight end with your hand in the dirt, doesn't always mean you're running. And when you got a tight end split out wide, certainly
0: doesn't mean you're always passing. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about that too much at all. Uh, this text says not a tight end, but I loved Aaron Ripkowski. Uh, I forget about Ripkowski, man. So, do you know what Ripkowski's claim to fame was in the NFL? Because of injuries, the year the Falcons uh, lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. What year was that? Was that twenty eighteen? Twenty sixteen. Was that all, all the way back in sixteen? Twenty sixteen. Aaron Ripkowski was the number one running back for the Packers in that NFC Championship game against the Falcons because of all the injuries that happened. The Packers rolled into Atlanta to take on Matt Ryan and the Falcons, and Ripkowski had to be <laughs> running back number one in that game. Think about that. Wow. oh yeah.
1: yeah, I seem to recall he was getting a decent amount of carries toward the end of that season for Green Bay. Like there was a time in Green Bay where he was seeing the field quite a bit. Yeah, I'd be, again
0: in the playoffs biggest game of the year. He he had to be Now, Aaron Rodgers was throwing it the majority of that game, but sure. if they wanted to run the ball, it was it was going to Ripkowski. Parker may be crucial if the offensive tackles struggle. That's what this one says.
1: Yeah. And that that that's true as well. I don't I don't get the sense that the offensive tackles will struggle. But yeah, having that extra blocker in there uh that can be big. Um is th- this just popped into my head. Is Aaron Ripkowski the
0: only sooner that's ever caught a touchdown from Aaron Rodgers? Uh I mean, Aaron Rodgers has only played for one team and is there another sooner that's played for the Packers during that time? I don't feel like there is, so no. probably. Yeah, so there you go. There's I mean, another... unless it was in like a Pro Bowl or something, but in a regular season game, yeah, most likely.
1: Yeah.
0: I just That just
1: popped into my head. I was like, huh, he might be the only, only guy that OU has ever produced that has caught a touchdown pass from the guy that I think is the greatest quarterback of this generation.
0: Uh, real quick before we get to Travis, let's just do real quick over or under on okay. these projected win totals, what we think. Uh, tech is at seven. That's a tough one. I think they might be right at a seven and five team this year. You going over or under seven and five.
1: Yeah, I, I wish these were set at .5, so it would be a lot easier to uh go
0: over or under. I'm gonna say push on that one. Uh, KSU at seven. I'll take the over on that. I think they win eight games. Yeah, I'll go over as well. TCU at six. Oh God, this one's so tough too. Under. I'm going under. You think they're you think they're they're going to be that bad a yeah. five and seventeen this I'm year? Going under. Well, the defense uh, they are completely flipping their identity. I'll say dead on balls accurate at six. West Virginia at six. I think that they go under. I think they're going to continue to struggle offensively. Yeah. Under agreed. Especially if they just lost to Keem Mesidor. KU at two. Who cares about that? Um, OSU at 8 Again, I think that's the 100. number for Oklahoma State I'll, I'll go under as well Because I don't think the defense is going to be as good And I don't trust Spencer Sanders, man Yeah, no,
1: nobody takes my word for it with Oklahoma State anymore Because I said they were going to win 5 games last year So I'm kind of resigned to that Baylor but. at
0: 7, what am I missing Oh, here? I, I have
1: no idea what you're missing
0: I know they have a tough non-con game at BYU No, that team will
1: absolutely win more than
0: 7 yeah, games Yeah, that would be a massive disappointment That's the slam dunk Baylor at 7 is the over You and I both like uh, over for OU at nine. Texas at seven. Crapshoot. I'll say under. I say that they're in uh, six and 16 this year. I'll say, I, p- I'll I, say push on that one, too. I but think I, they win exactly seven. But I, I think that they're much more likely to go under seven than they are over seven. Agreed.
1: Agreed. I would concur.
0: All right, let's get to Travis Davidson coming up next, but keep your texts coming. 405 651 34 39. It is locked in with McComas and Thune right here on the ref. Locked in with McComas and Thune. Love having this guy on. Every single Wednesday at 235, Trav- Tra- Travis Davidson joins us at Travis Skoll, S-K-O-L on Twitter. He talks some football. He talks some recruiting with us. Travis, uh, welcome into the show, man. Hey, everything I've heard so far during spring practice is that it's uh, much more physical, much more upbeat, the team's looking good. What have you heard so far throughout the first three weeks of spring practice on what's going on down there?
2: First of all, I appreciate you guys having me on. love doing this segment every week. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, it's, it's a lot like visits kind of initially. You know, there's a lot of things. I don't think you'll find a team out there right now uh, who says, oh, man, our spring practices are, are, are actually going pretty bad. We're probably going to be pretty awful this year. Um, so you're going to expect that natural positivity. But well, what I love is just some of the media access we've been getting and some of the, just the, the videos just hearing the coaches uh, just just have a higher standard preaching physicality preaching competition preaching kind of that, that clean slate just whoever's the hungriest uh, is going to get the job um, and then uh, just uh, what we've heard from the recruits as well saying man it's extremely organized people are running to their stations they're not walking to their stations. It just seems like this team has a lot more intent and purpose with their actions uh, these days. Travis, how much
1: money are you laying on Oklahoma getting past <laughs> nine wins in twenty twenty two?
2: All, all of it, all of it. I mean, e- everything I can find. I'm going to go diving through some wishing wells and be grabbing some change out of there to, to hammer the over on nine wins. I mean, where are the losses? Where, where are the three losses on the schedule?
0: Uh, they'll be a favorite. I mean, that, that's why I don't agree with the nine, Travis. Unless, like, a drastic injury were to happen in the offseason, do we not all agree that OU will be favored to win every single game this year? I mean, I, w- w- in what game well, would, they they, be in a, w- would they be a dog?
2: They, I don't think they'll be a dog in any game. Um, I think, uh, to your point, maybe a, a, a catastrophic injury, but... Are, are, are we pretty much saying that catastrophic injury has to happen to Dylan Gabriel? Cause I think that's the only position
0: yes. yeah. where you,
2: where you, where you could look at it and say, okay, if Dylan Gabriel, I mean, obviously Nick Evers, you know, he's, he's young. He's got a lot of great, uh, great games ahead of him, but I don't think he's ready to be thrown into, uh, you know, playing against Dave Miranda or anything. So <clears throat> yeah, I think boring an injury to Dylan and only Dylan. Yes, absolutely. We'll be favored in every game. And, What I like is this isn't the days of Lincoln Riley being favored where, all right, you're going to have to go just outscore some people, and then you better hope that, you know, a couple plays don't go your way. Brent Venable seems like a guy that can get a lead and hold on to it. And you see what Levy does in the second half, uh, you know, when you watch his stuff. He likes to lean on you in that second half and run the ball and wear you down and really let that offensive line go to work on you.
0: Yeah, so we're all in agreement. Um, over nine on this one. The over nine would have hit every single year since 2014. And if we feel like they've upgraded across the board on the coaching staff, then that seems like a pretty easy one to me. But if you are looking at – like, Travis, as you as you look at the schedule, man, at Nebraska early on, Texas and Dallas, you got Baylor and Oklahoma State both at home late in the season – Like, where is the one game or what is the one game that you're looking at this year saying, yeah, that's probably going to be the toughest one on the schedule?
2: Oh, man. I mean, honestly, I think because this team is so new, you've had to install a new defense and a new offense for the first time in, what, over 20 years, Um, I I think – will be a little bit more vulnerable early. I love that we get OSU and Baylor at home late in the season. I think we'll have some things figured out by then. Obviously, it will have a lot to do with health. But that that Nebraska game is probably and, and it, I'm not even that worried about it, but if I had to pick games, it would probably go Nebraska one, kind of Texas two in my uh, in in my concerns only because it's so early in Nebraska last year. I mean, if they're anything like last year, we'll just win in a one-score game because it seems like that's all they know how to do is to lose <laughs> close games. But eventually, you know, at least uh, the the Lincoln faithful, uh, they're, they're going to hope that Scott Frost can win a couple of those close ones. So they've shown the ability. I mean, they were really in games uh, throughout the season with everybody they played. Um, so I think that, that, that Nebraska game is probably what I'd circle. T-
1: Travis, answer me this. Have people simply forgotten that Jeff Lebby exists or do they just not understand how good it has, his job he is? Because I feel like the prevailing narrative uh, throughout, this, uh, throughout the offseason from the national media has been, yeah, Oklahoma will be better on defense, but the offense is going to take a hit, completely ignoring the fact that Jeff Lebby has been, with without much argument, one of the top five offensive coordinators in college football over the last four years. So, what is it that people are seeing and or not seeing with Jeff Lebby?
2: Uh, I I think some of it just has to do with Lincoln Riley's reputation. Um, You know, we always heard about you know the NFL guys coming down, uh, talking to Lincoln, you know, during the off season, talked about Heisman winners and number one picks and things like that. I think people are just saying well, I haven't heard all that about Jeff Levy, so there must be a step back. Now, those people are also not the people that have watched Oklahoma football religiously over the last few years, or else they probably wouldn't be saying that as loudly. Um, But, yeah, Jeff Levy is an absolute star. I mean, you heard from guys like Theo Weiss who said, look, I wanted to transfer to Ole Miss to go play for Jeff Levy. And then Jeff Levy comes here, and then I, I came back out of the portal. You see a guy like Dylan Gabriel, obviously a talented guy, that produced big time numbers playing in college football and he was just I mean it was pretty much understood that wherever Levy went, that's where Dylan Gabriel was gonna end up. So you don't have those guys follow you so just just blindly really into a new system or staying in staying at a school like Theo did without without the players at least really respecting what he can do.
0: Talking to our buddy Travis Davidson up there in T town. Give him a follow on Twitter at Travis Skol. S K O L. I mean, Travis does live in Tulsa, but it seems like he's here half the time in like the Norman, Oklahoma City area. So he covers the <laughs> state uh, quite a bit. Hey, uh, Parker kind of got everyone nervous earlier this week. Oh boy, what uh, did I do? Well, I mean, there's a four star wide receiver at Booker T right now that you're starting to to question where he's going to end up. Uh, what, what's the deal with Micah Tease and, and OU? What, what's going on there, Travis?
2: I just, I just think there are too many people in his camp that really want to see him at OU. Not only, uh, you know, the Gentry Williams of the world and the RSJs and those kind of guys, but I don't know, maybe the guy that shares his last name, uh, his older brother. Um, there's, there's a lot of people that want him at Oklahoma. Uh, th- for those of you that have met or know Micah, he kind of, he kind of the beat of his own drum, um, a lot of times. So we're, we're hoping that that doesn't, you know, end up being a, Oh, my own drum takes me to you know, South Bend or Tuscaloosa or, or, God forbid Austin or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I just think, uh, I just think it's gonna, I think it's going to feel like, like Gentry felt. I mean, Gentry was taking visits to Florida. That's how he knows Lee Davis so well, uh, taking visits out to USC Dante Williams is no slouch uh, on the recruiting trail. Uh, when 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 you see things like that happen to Gentry, and you can say, you know what, he ended up a Sooner anyways, and it was it was always Oklahoma, uh, and maybe that's just my optimism, wanting to see more nine one eight Sooners. But uh, I, I really, until until something drastic happens, like he's, uh, I don't know, we get left out of a top five or something like that, I'm personally not going to be too concerned about it.
1: Yeah, I'm concerned about it. I'll say this, though. I think Travis is exactly right in saying that there are enough people in Mike Atiz's camp that want him at OU, that it's going to be hard for OU not to win out in the end. Now, uh, Travis, where do you stand on the offer Cole Adams debate?
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, it, it's coming. The, the offer the offer is, is going – I don't know why it hasn't happened yet. Um, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get out of the segment without a Cole Adams question because uh, I think you guys are contractually obligated to talk about it every thirty minutes. We are, we are, yes. <laughs> okay, I was just making sure. One of the sponsors, some Awasa sponsor, uh, hopped in there and said, "I'm only sponsoring if you talk about Cole Adams every thirty minutes." <laughs> no, he he's a talented kid. Uh, he deserves an offer. He's a, he's a good kid. Um, he's going to be one of those guys that, that gets gets onto whatever team he he gets onto, and he's a. Uh, He's just going to put his head down to work. You're not going to have to worry about off-the-field issues or anything like that. I am fully in the offer Cole Adams right now. I hope I hope he's offered by the time we get off this uh, segment because, you know, he deserves it. But, you know, I, I I do think it's coming. I just don't know why it's not here yet. I've heard different explanations, and none of them stick. So
0: Is it too late at this point with all the momentum that Alabama's had with him? I mean, even if they were to offer him – before we get done with this segment, is it too late in the process, or can OU make up enough ground here in the next you know month or two or so?
2: Uh, I, I think that relies on, on two things, Tyler. I, think, I don't think it's too late, first of all, but I do think when they do offer Brent and Jeff Levy, then they have to have a fantastic explanation as to why they didn't offer yet. So it'll rely on that. Um, but also I think it'll rely on what the team looks like. You know, I mean – his his recruitment isn't isn't you know close to being over. I think uh, if he's got that OU offer and everything, I think he wants to look and see if we're just lighting it up and if Levy is continuing the success that we've seen at his his previous stops and and we're proving that we're way ahead of schedule compared to what a lot of the coaches recruiting against us are saying to Cole right now. Uh, I think uh, I think OU still got a great shot.
0: Hey, you demand Travis Davidson as always. We appreciate you, dude.
2: Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Can't wait till next week. There you go, Travis Davidson
0: every single Wednesday at two thirty. Good stuff. Was he saying that he expects the offer to happen? That he knows that the offer is going to happen? What would you, would you take? Uh, that? It sure sounded that way.
1: Yeah, I should have asked he, a better follow up question. I don't now. know. Does he, does he know something I don't? Because, uh,
0: man, I'm skeptical that that offer is coming. Ever at this point. Yeah, yeah. 405-651-3439 is the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Uh, We will touch on a little bit more Cruton on the other side. The initial 2024 top uh, 247 rankings are out. Parker had some thoughts on those with some uh, OU offers that are out there. We'll get into that and uh, more Sooner Football coming up next on The Ref. Final segment of Locked In with McComas and Thune on the ref. Quickly on the Air Comfort Solutions text line, what's the over-under on how long Jeff Lebby is the OC at OU? Well, what's the over-under on how long Lane Kiffin's going to be at Ole Miss? Because I feel like the day that Lane Kiffin leaves Oxford, Ole Miss's number one priority is going to be Jeff Lebby. Now, the Ole Miss job's about to get tougher, Parker. Oh, it will. With OU... Moving to the SEC, so would Jeff Lebby take the Ole Miss job if offered? I don't
1: know. I don't know. As much as I hate to say it, yeah, this might not be a terribly long-term thing with Jeff Lebby. There's a chance it is. There's a chance you get a few good years out of him. But there's also just as good a chance that Lane Kiffin's gone to the NFL next year. There are a couple other big-time openings that come available, and Jeff Lebby's interviewing for head coaching job. Like th- there is a chance, and I'm not saying I'd bet on it, but there is a chance this only lasts one year.
0: Yeah, he is coaching under a guy that was an assistant coach for, what, how, how long? Like 25 years, however long it was. And that doesn't mean that Jeff Levy is going to have the same, you know, idea about being a longtime coordinator as Brent Venables is, but it's it's at least something. It I don't get the feeling that Jeff Levy's going to jump for just anything. No, no, he won't. And it comes down to risk-reward, right? You are in a position
1: where you're making north of $2 million, to be the offensive coordinator at your alma mater. There's not really an immediate need for you to take the first head coaching vacancy that comes available. You don't got to go be the head coach at Fresno State. No, you don't don't have to. You can can be comfortable in your position at Oklahoma and know that you're going to have players, you're going to have talent, you're going to have other coaches around you that can make you look even better at your job, and then – few years down the road, when a job that you actually want comes available, a job that you have circled in your book of FBS schools that you would like to coach one day, when one of those jobs comes available, you know you're going to be at the top of the list.
0: I would put the over-under, to answer the question, I'd put the over-under at two and a half years for Jeff Levy. Yeah. And here's the thing. If he gets gobbled up by a really good job after two years, that probably means... OU's had two really good years of offense. Nick Saban has to replace more assistants on a year-in, year-out basis than anyone in college football does, and they've got the dynasty going on right now, so it doesn't always have to be a bad thing, but we can all recognize that Levy's really good at his job, and you would like to keep him around here as long as possible. No doubt, but
1: like you said, Tyler, the sooner he is a hot up-and-coming head coaching
0: candidate... (laughs) the sooner Oklahoma is playing some elite offense. Sure. Hey, did you have any um, big takeaways from the initial 2024, top 24-7 rankings? No, not anything that really stood out to me. Uh, I was pleased to
1: see my boy Michael Hawkins at number 141 overall, and I believe top 10 among quarterbacks. Man, that is a dude that I, I think I actually might have been the first person to ever write about that kid. Uh, when he started last year for Allen High School as a sophomore, he's only the second person to ever start at quarterback for Allen High School as a sophomore, and I'm not sure I need to tell anybody who the first one was, mm, right? Pretty so, good company there, yeah, a- elite company. So yeah, I, Sooner I, Legacy, Sooner Legacy. Dad played defensive back in the early 2000s at OU. So I, right now, I expect that that 2024 quarterback that Oklahoma targets is either going to be DJ Lagway. Or Michael Hawkins? No Rayola. No, not Rayola. He was the number one player? He might be the consensus number one overall player in this class when it's all said and done. I mean, that dude can throw. And he has all the intangibles you look for in a successful quarterback. I love Dylan Rayola as a prospect, and he is a great kid, too. I mean, he has the complete package. I just don't think he ends up at OU.
0: Hey, yeah, okay. Yeah, USC. When he was at USC a couple weeks ago, and yeah, there are a couple a of crystal ball for predictions
1: him. for USC. I, I don't know if I buy that. I don't know if he's going to go somewhere where you're instantly third in line behind Caleb Williams, who I guess might not be there at that point. But you know, Malachi Nelson is the quarterback of the future.
0: Real quick, before we get out of here, I was talking to someone earlier today that was on campus uh, this past weekend for the recruiting visit. And what he said to me is, yeah, uh, Miguel Chavis can recruit. He mentioned Miguel Chavis and Jay Valai in the same sentence when it comes to recruiting prowess. Now, we give all the recruiting credit to Brent Venables, to uh, Todd Bates, and now Miguel Chavis. But is perhaps Jay Valai maybe the most undervalued recruiter on this staff? Perhaps, perhaps we'll see who I he lands. Time,
1: exactly, I think time will tell. There's going to be a trial period with J just like there was for Miguel Chávez. Right, two months after Miguel Chávez was hired, everybody was like, "Okay, yep, that was a good hire." Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly people render such a verdict on J okay. All
0: right, the rush coming up next. Keep it locked right here on the Ref.